As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Hello and welcome to Matters of Life and Death. This week is our third and final instalment of John's conversation with the Astronomer Royal, Lord Martin Rees. Normal Merlad service resumes next week. See you then. Welcome back to the final part of this week's edition of The Big Conversation from Premier Unbelievable. It's been so good to be joined by John Wyatt. He's the author of The Robot We'll See You Now, exploring where technology and transhumanism is taking humanity from a Christian perspective. Uh, if you want more from John, johnwyatt.com. And do check out the Matters of Life and Death podcast from Premier Unbelievable that he hosts with his journalist son, Tim. Um, also uh, joining us today on the show has been Lord Martin Rees, who is the Astronomer Royal, uh, former Master of Trinity College Cambridge, former president of the Royal Society, many other uh, illustrious titles that I could list. But his recent book, On the Future, Prospects for Humanity, is really the, the, the central sort of ideas from that that we've been discussing today when we were looking at robots and transhumanism, life beyond Earth. Um, MartinReese.uk for Martin's website. Um, I, I did want to open up that question of, of what you know, the long future may look like. Uh, I've mentioned transhumanism and there's lots of ways in which that crosses over between, you know, robotics and biotech and everything, uh, you know. Uh, but but people even question whether humans will be part of the future. You referenced this a bit earlier, Martin. Um, I, I know that you've also published another recent book called The End of Astronauts, where you've said, really, humans won't be involved in space travel in the future, which is a rather sad prospect really doesn't sound quite as romantic you know to say you know um rather than one small step for man you know it's one small step for for a robot somewhere in a in a distant galaxy um what 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 i I mean just explain why you think actually on that level you know if there is going to be further exploration of space it it won't involve humans it'll involve robots what's what's your reasoning for that martin Um, well robots are becoming vastly more capable of course uh, and the practical need for uh, humans in space is going down because robots can now assemble big structures in orbit or they could build a structure on the moon, a big telescope or something. And uh, if you think about exploring, uh, then robots on Mars um, will soon be able to actually do what a geologist could do. They can already um, um, travel around Mars and dig up bits samples but uh, soon they'll have a bit of more intelligence and they could do it better so of course they could do these things and of course they're hugely cheaper if you want to send a person to mars 
then you've got to feed them, keep them safe for a 200-day trip, and perhaps bring them back. And that's hugely more expensive than sending a robot, which just hibernates and you can leave there. And so the practical case for humans is getting weaker. And obviously, as you say, uh, there's an inspiration in sending humans. Uh, we look back, if we're old enough, to Neil Armstrong's one small step on the moon in 1969. And um, that was the high point of exploration in space. No one's been further than the moon since. Um, so uh, the line I take in my book um, is that um, if we are going to have humans going into space in future, then uh, they should go as an adventure. And this should be, I think, not paid for by the taxpayer, because if ta the taxpayers send civilians into space, they've got to be very risk averse. Whereas if the billionaires pay for it, then first of all, it's not our money in the same sense. But secondly, uh, they can launch the kind of uh, um, adventurers, people like Sir Ranulph Fiennes, or people who go hang gliding and all that, and uh, uh, even some people who will be willing to go with one-way tickets. In fact, Musk himself has said that he wants to die on Mars, but not on impact. He's now, I think, mm. 51. And uh, uh, when he's 90, maybe he could go and uh, we should cheer him on. You know? um, so um, I think um, robots, um, of course, can do all the exploration and they can, of course, go far beyond Mars, where humans never could. Um, but um, the role of humans is nonetheless very interesting um, because supposing that there, there is a small community of uh, these bold pioneers um, living on Mars, um, which would be less comfortable than living at the South Pole or the ocean bed, but there could be people there, um, then at the end of a century, they will want to use all the techniques we will then have for um, genetic modification and cyborg to adapt their progeny to this very hostile environment, very different from the Earth. Now, here on Earth, we're pretty well adapted, and also we are going to regulate all these techniques for ethical and the prudential reasons. But these guys on Mars are away from the regulators. And so uh, m my line in our book is that um, if there is going to be a sort of post-human species, it will be the progeny of those crazy pioneers on Mars uh, who will uh, have, have the incentive and uh, 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 not mm. the constraints which we will have on, on Earth. Uh, so that can, that can happen. And of course, um, this leads to the question of the far future because uh, we know that the um, solar system has billions of years ahead of it and uh, in even a few centuries then there may be a species different from humans, maybe mainly robotic and um, if they are um, electronic rather than the flesh and blood then they may not uh, um, want to stay on a planet, they both need an atmosphere, they may prefer zero gravity and they'll be near immortal so they could go on interstellar voyages. So a scenario of the far future is that um, entities which are electronic progeny of hu humans who went to Mars um, will spread through the galaxy. And of course, we, this is raises a question which astronomers always asked, are there aliens out there already? Or will the uh, galaxy be awaiting our progeny? We don't know. But electronic entities uh, maybe our remote descendants and the ones who can uh, actually uh, 
go out into deep space. Uh, so, um, and that, of course, still begs the question of whether they will be zombies or whether they'll be uh, intelligent, but they will be capable of, uh, of surviving for millions of years um, and uh, making these these long voyages. I'd uh, uh, be interested in your, your thoughts on... So that's a scenario for the long-term yeah. future. John, John what, do you, what do you think of this sort of idea of post-humans who are effectively, yeah, advanced robots who are actually our ancestors once we've, I don't know, died out or Earth becomes uninhabitable? It's them that will be taking things forward in the far future. I mean, it's a fascinating prospect, isn't it? And I think... Um it's much closer to science fiction. These are these are very common science fiction tropes. Yes, absolutely. and I think one of the fascinating things about this, um, what the fascinating things about this technology is that whereas previously, whenever a new technology came, we got the technological advance first, and then we got the artists and the writers and the novelists who wrote about it. You know, so we have the industrial revolution, and then Dickens writes about it, and so on. What's unique about this revolution is that. Uh, right from sort of Mary Shelley and H.G. Wells, um, you know, people have been speculating about the future of the human race and 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 the technology and posthumanism and so on. And so, there's a very interesting interaction between the science fiction um, and then the actual technology. And I, I know that some of the technologists in Silicon Valley they're actually trying to make the science fiction come true. I mean, Elon Musk ha has has said how much his science fiction background and Asimov foundation and empire all these these kind of big themes of of life across a galaxy he's now trying to make this come true I mean my own perspective is that I, I suspect the drive for human enhancement uh, is going to be massive on this planet not just on Mars um, and and uh, in many ways what we're seeing already is a kind of low-tech human enhancement. I mean, you know, the idea of cosmetic surgery, uh, of, of gender changing surgery, of uh, recreational pharmaceuticals, of, you know, this is all um, low tech transhumanism. And, and what's going to happen? And it shows that there is a sort of inexhaustible appetite for, for us to improve our bodies. And, and I suspect that as the technology advances, there's going to be more and more demand for um, sophisticated technology to improve our bodies. And, and I think the question we're going to have to ask is, are we satisfied? I think there's going to be a campaign for real humanity. You know, there's a campaign for real ale that says, you know, we don't want this, uh, <laughs> this kind of fizzy stuff. I think there's going to have to be campaigns for real humanity, you know, that we think, actually, you know, you know what? I think this old-fashioned Mark One Homo sapiens, I'm, I'm quite satisfied with that. <laughs> what, what about you, Martin? Yes. No, I completely agree with that. I think we ought to uh, uh, restrain all these developments. We should restrain all these developments um, here on Earth um, because we're well adapted to the Earth and uh, we don't want to change it too fast. I agree with that. Uh, and that's why I think it will be the uh, crazy guys on Mars who are away from the regulators and who um, are ill-adapted and have reasons for trying to uh, change their descendants. So I think they will pioneer these things and we should cheer them on, but we should restrain that happening here. And to take a more recent example, um, th there's um, uh, the establishment just very recently of three labs called Altos Laboratories to uh, uh, extend lifespan. 
these are funded by um, uh, billionaires who, when young, wanted to be rich, and now they're rich, they want to be young again, and that's not quite so easy. And uh, there's one in San Francisco, one in San Diego, and one in Cambridge. And uh, uh, I think if they succeeded in enhancing the lifespan um, of uh, a few privileged people, that's a really fundamental kind of inequality. And that's something I think we ought to put the brakes on. I mean, if, if, uh, even if everyone could do it, it's not obviously a good idea. But certainly um, a few people who uh, have conquered death to a greater extent than the rest of us is a really fundamental kind of inequality. So uh, I, I'm very much on side that uh, since we uh, are adapted to living on the earth, uh, we've got to preserve it as it is. Yeah. And to a reasonable extent, preserve our, ourselves um, and uh, distinguish between uh, remedying defects and enhancement. I, I was going to ask then, one in, is good, in, one is less good. In that case, Martin, I mean, as someone who doesn't have any particular religious beliefs, what, why for you is there that sense of sadness at the idea that, that humans might one day go extinct and be replaced by, you know, some sort of robotics, you know, advanced technology that we, that we had created? Um, because, as you said, some people just say, well, we're just this blip in, you know, a, a vast, you know, cosmos uh, going on through billions of years. Uh, why should we privilege our particular moment in the sun over what may come after us? What, what's, what, why, is it just a sort of sentimental attachment to, to humans? What is it, Martin? Well, I mean, I, I suppose as a kind of chauvinism, being a human being myself. I mean, I do, I do care about our species and uh, um, uh, I... Uh, um, admire the beauty and wonder of this world and its variety etc in which uh, we have evolved over a four billion year process and I think uh, we want to cherish this um, but nonetheless in the broader perspective um, there may be all kinds of life out there already even more wonderful than the earth and there could be descendants if you think on timescales of millions of years, not just uh, centuries, uh, descendants of humans who also are, are very different. So I think in the grand cosmic perspective, uh, then we, we may be just a blip, but uh, uh, I think um, we are entitled to a bit of chauvinism <laughs> for the human species. What, 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 what kind of drives your particular con concern, John, for, for seeing humans flourish rather than you know, some robot ancestors of ours flourish? Well, I think that um, astronomers and other thinkers like Martin Rees who don't believe in any kind of fundamental meaning actually have a problem because there's a famous quote by the physicist Weinberg who said, the more the universe is comprehensible, the more it seems pointless. And it's that, as we talked earlier about this human longing for meaning, for longing for significance. And so I... I think that um, we need some bigger story than just, well, you know, we happen to be a sort of cosmic accident which happened to evolve for completely meaningless reasons and we happened by a great fluke to enjoy it and then we went out, bonk. You know, that, that I think there is a deep hunger for something more than that. Martin? Um, I mean, I, I think I, I disagree in two respects. First... First, um, uh, I think we can make our own meaning in lives. I don't feel my life is meaningless. I think most, most people can make a meaning in life and uh, uh, look at human achievements um, and try and ensure that we improve things. That's one thing. Um, the second point is that e even if we would like the um, universe to have a meaning, uh, that doesn't mean it does. 
uh, so our wishes are not the same as the reality. Um, so that's why I don't sympathise with, the, with these views. But I think we've got to make the best meaning we can. And uh, we certainly uh, know that there's a huge gap, indeed I think a widening gap, between the way the world is and the way it could be. And our aim should be to narrow that gap. And I think we should do that as human beings. Um, and uh, I don't think um, any perception about what is happening in the wider cosmos should diminish our motivation to make meaning here on Earth. John, any response to that? Well, it, I, 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 st I still struggle with um, how you can have... I mean, I think what Martin is expressing is a view which is often uh, said, is that basically ethics, morality... Uh, all of these are just human inventions, which our clever human minds sort of invent. You know, we invent that certain things are good and certain things are evil. We pretend that it matters whether you love people or whether you torture them. Uh, but actually it doesn't. These are just stories we tell ourselves. There is no fundamental linkage between morality and r reality out there. And I, I think most people really would would struggle with that and, and my own belief you know as a christian is that actually morality is objective it's it's out there we don't invent it we discover it we discover what is real we discover what is true we discover what love means well of course there's some people who think it like kant who thought it was objective but that doesn't mean that uh, it involves a god uh, so I think there's a separate question of uh, the extent to which uh, ethics is objective rather than objective from the question of whether it's imposed by a god. And then, of course, there's a question of uh, um, is the statement that God is good a tautology or not? Uh, so I, I think uh, there are all these deep debates, and I'm not an expert in any of them, but I don't think uh, um, we need to uh, abandon the idea of uh, improving people's lives by their own perceptions um, simply because we don't have any religious beliefs. of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. I, I, I suppose that it, for me, that, that whole concept of um, the idea that one day humans might be replaced by robots and, and the question of whether we could know actually whether they would actually have the same meaningful experience as us, even if they appeared to all intents and purpose, you know, appear yes, to be having yes. interactions. I mean, would it be a shame for you in that sense, Martin, mm -hmm. if if the ability to appreciate our place in the cosmos was ultimately lost, um, even if there was, you know, still apparently activity happening through these these robotic people and so on? No, no very much so. That's why uh, if if our um, remote progeny are zombies, um, I, I would find this a very depressing outcome. Um, but of course, the universe isn't necessarily going to be the way that pleases us as humans. Um, so um, that scenario um, isn't less likely to, because I don't like it. And so we've got to bear in mind that, uh, um, that that could be a scenario. But also we should bear in mind that there could be far more wonderful entities out there already. Who knows? Who knows? Well, um, that, would, that would be a whole other show to explore. Scale of the, the universe. We could be unique, <laughs> but on the other hand, we're not. Yes.
it's it's been such an interesting conversation between you both. Any any final thoughts as we as we end this, John? Perhaps you'd like to start, and then I'll pass to Martin. Well, just taking this conversation on that, um, what the the Christian understanding of what it means to be human is it, it it explains the fact that there seems to be this mysterious link between us as these carbon based life forms on a particular blue blob in the galaxy and this vast universe out there. And there is some kind of correspondence between what goes on in my mind and what is going on in reality. And that's the Christian answer for that is because we are made in God's image. And therefore, my mind is capable of thinking after the mind of the creator, that there is a great mind behind reality. And my puny little human mind is capable in some highly limited. And of course, I mean, I hear what Martin is saying. Nonetheless, there is some kind of correspondence between my mind and the mind of the creator. I think what Martin has to say is actually as far as he knows, there is no mind behind the universe. And it's just an amazing fluke that this little carbon based life form manages to do all these extraordinary things, including developing intelligence, um, reaching out, exploring the cosmos. And, and the question is, which of those two stories makes more sense? Well, I mean, I, I certainly think it, it, it is remarkable that the, hu- that the human brain, which hasn't changed very much since our ancestors roamed the African savanna, and knew about the everyday world, has made as much progress as it has in understanding the cosmos and the micro world of the quantum. I think that is, that is remarkable. And of course, had that not been the case, we wouldn't have technology. Um, but uh, the brain has this. Uh, but of course, we don't know where you're unique in the universe. There could be others, um, uh, civilizations out there in space thinking just the same thoughts as you, thinking they're unique. Uh, so we just d- don't know that. But uh, but I would say uh, one other thing, which is that um, we are perhaps nearer the beginning than the end of the emergence of complexity in the universe. We're the outcome of four billion years of Darwinian evolution. And the future evolution we've been discussing is going to be mainly perhaps electronic rather than biological. And it it's going to be not Darwinian, it's going to be it's going to be determined by um, in what I'd like to call secular intelligent design. Humans and their progeny designing better ones. And I think this has a big difference because um, uh, evolution by Darwinian selection favors two things. One is intelligence, another is aggression. And that leads some people to think that uh, any advanced aliens are going to be aggressive. They want to come and come and and conquer us, etc. Whereas um, the future evolution uh, will favour intelligence, but not aggression. And so for all we know, there are these electronic brains thinking deep thoughts out there in space, not bothering us at all. And it completely changes one's view about the likelihood of uh, there being advanced intelligence elsewhere in the universe, um, if we b- believe that it's uh, uh, developed by um, what I call second intelligent design. Mm. And um, so that's a possible scenario because there could be places out in space where there's been a a billionaire head start because they formed on planets around older stars. So I just think we've got to bear in mind the huge variety and the fact that we are still nearer the beginning than the end. Humans aren't the culmination 
and that's one thing which I uh, uh, don't resonate with uh, uh, most religious people in believing. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, and yes, and if we do meet aliens one day, maybe there will be robots from from another star system. Who knows? But the um, it's it, again. Well, m- 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 much more likely in yes. my opinion much more likely there you go um wh- whether that's uh, something that inspires you or depresses you we'll, we'll leave to to the viewer to to decide but um john and martin it's been just a really interesting dis- conversation thank you so much for being willing to engage in in the way you have today i uh, really appreciated it um again if you want to find out more about both of the books that i've mentioned in regards to martin and john uh, john's book is the robot will see you now uh, find that at johnwyatt.com uh, martinreese.uk is the website of uh, martin reese the astronomer royal and we've mainly been touching on themes from his book on the future prospects for humanity so again that's available too as well as his more recent book the end of astronauts um, and of course you can find this show uh, do share it on with others i hope it'll interest them and inspire them as well but for now martin and john thanks for being with me thank you very much thank you thanks for listening to this special edition of matters of life and death john's discussion with martin reese was originally broadcast as part of the big conversation another great podcast hosted by justin briley within the premier unbelievable network if you've enjoyed what you've heard over the past three weeks do take a look at the big conversation online that's thebigconversation.show Justin has pulled together four seasons now of fascinating dialogues between big-name thinkers discussing the most pressing questions in life, including Richard Dawkins, Rowan Williams, Jordan Peterson, Darren Brown, N.T. Wright, Tom Holland, A.C. Grayling, and many, many more. And as always, you can head to John's website, johnwyatt.com, for more of his own resources on things like AI, transhumanism, and the future of humanity. You can also get in touch with us by emailing molad, M-O-L-A-D, at premier.org.uk. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Unbelievable.